0: folks. This is a fundraising pitch. Uh, you might have noticed that the show's been on hiatus for about the last six months. Okay, why? Well, I've been producing the File ad-free for the last three years. That's 68 episodes. And it takes a lot of time and effort to track down interviews, research, edit, and produce the show. Of course, I got to work to pay the rent, which doesn't leave a lot of time to focus on the podcast. So I'm wondering... Is it possible to turn this into a part-time job? Maybe, but I need your help. Go to patreon.com slash thekoreafile and throw me a few dollars a month. For the price of a cup of coffee at Tom and Tom's, for the cost of a sandwich at Isaac Toast, you can help turn this podcast into a sustainable project. And patrons get perks. For an ongoing donation of just $4 a month, you'll have access to extra content that you won't find anywhere else online including bonus interviews and special subscriber only episodes if you can afford to contribute a little more every month ten dollar donation gets you exclusive vip access to information about upcoming guests and the opportunity to submit questions for future episodes a kind of executive producer position but hey every dollar helps a lot and listeners like you can help to sustain this podcast so if you can contribute, again, go to patreon.com slash the Korea file and donate a few bucks. Thanks. All right, here's the episode. Podcasting from Montreal, this is the Korea File, a bi-weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the Korean Peninsula and the world. I'm Andre Goulet, on this episode. In part two of my conversation with former relief worker and pacifist Joe Smucker, he reveals how the Mennonite Central Committee's reconstruction efforts and work with orphans in post-war Korea led to the founding of an Anabaptist church on the peninsula 40 years later. We also discuss his observations on post-colonial and post-war chaos and reflect on the tragedy of a divided Korea. So, So did the unique characteristics of the Mennonite faith, pacifism, Anabaptism, the worship of Christ, did they inform the work that was done by MCC in a way other than just modeling certain behavior or, or choosing to help? Was, was there other ways that particularly peace activism was shared with the people?
1: Well, we try to have uh, a variety of projects to show the constructive approach to peace, one of which was building temporary housing, uh, we, uh, and that was made up of students, from Kyungbok University, and we tried to uh, also demonstrate that uh, by our aid work and by the uh, vocational school, by the, by the program that uh, trained uh, widows to have a, a, a vocation in the sewing project, for example. So we tried to demonstrate these things uh, through the projects that we supported. The project that probably got the most publicity and made the biggest impact was probably the Vocational School for Orphan Boys. And some of those boys eventually, a few of them became um, quite vocal in support of the Mennonite objectives and uh, were instrumental in establishing an Anabaptist center believe in Seoul. They don't call themselves Mennonites, but uh, they they, they call themselves Anabaptists. Were uh, some of these founders
0: actually, they they were the same kids who were the orphan boys?
1: I think at least two were, if I understand correctly.
0: The Anabaptist Center in Seoul was founded in 2001. There's a book, Mennonite Peacekeeping, and in the book it said that the Korean War and the Cold War era in general marked a change in the Mennonite church's approach to its relationship with the state and in its own role as a peacekeeping church. Do you think that's accurate? And if so, what changed in this era to make this occur?
1: I haven't read the book, but I think what they're talking about is, as you might know, there are many different varieties of Mennonites. There are probably some 25 different types of Mennonites. The most conservative Mennonites are those who... Do not believe in cooperating at all with government. If you look at the Amish, for example, they will only send their kids to school to the eighth grade, which is required, and after that they do not because they don't want them to get too much secular education, etc. They withdraw into a community of themselves. So that's one extreme. Clear over to what we call or used to call a general conference Mennonites. Now it's just Mennonites, but, but these are probably the most liberal wing. So you have all this variety within the church of those who on the one hand say our world is not part of the secular world, our world is God's world, and they try to remove themselves. As opposed to those who say, we live in this world and living here, we are to serve God through helping others. And so we need to be active.
0: This is the work of the MCC. This is the That's work right. you That's and right. your uh, colleagues were doing yeah. in Korea in yeah. the 50s.
1: Now, the difference, sometimes people say, oh, so you were doing missionary work. We MCC is not a mission organization. Hmm. It is a Maybe. relief Organization. Mission means saving souls. That's right. And that's not what it Relief was. Relief means saving lives. Yeah. Well, that's that's a very clever way of putting it. Yes.
0: Do you think that the wars in Korea and later the war in Vietnam were a time that led to a lot of confusion and conflict for enlisted Mennonites um, or even Mennonites who were having to participate with the draft in the United States at that time? Was it a confusing time?
1: It was, yeah, it was because you had emerging sort of the Cold War after the Second World War. I remember the big scare about Russians dropping atomic bombs, so everybody was supposed to be digging uh, air raid shelters in their backyards, etc. There's a lot of scaremongering going on. And then with the outbreak of the Korean War, that m- made it seem much more real, because now not only Russia, but China was a threat. So the kind of ethos in the U.S. was that the, the U.S. and U.S. interests were in constant, in constant threat. Mm-hmm. The Vietnam War was a real disaster as far as the U.S. goes. And in effect, that's a war that the U.S. lost, I think. <laughs> but it just had no public support.
0: And in the case of the Korean War, that was a war that all of the Korean people lost in a way, because it's a uh, there's a schism of a country that is now yeah. permanently perhaps yeah. divided.
1: The the I have to say that before that division in Korea, there was a lot of turmoil within the country. I mean, there were there were uh, you know people in the far left, communists in South Korea, socialists, etc. Throughout the whole peninsula, the only thing that held them together was their uh, uh, animosity towards Japan. Mm-hmm. But there is just a lot of turmoil. My friend uh, Jay Kim, his father had the misfortune of having worked as a bureaucrat for the Japanese. They were under constant threat when the Japanese left. They had to move constantly. and. Uh, it was just a miserable time for them, and that was from the internal thing, from from the Japan issue. Yeah. There were a lot of a lot of turmoil going on, even when I was there, in terms of South Korea. You know, were you part of the Japanese or weren't you? Were you part of the North Korea or weren't you? Were you infiltrating? Are you a spy? Or are you providing information? Well, an awful lot of suspicion uh, towards individuals, and an awful lot of feeling of. Uh, there should be some act of revenge even against the Japanese uh, still. Did you get
0: a sense of that from what you were observing in, in the late 50s? I did, uh,
1: mostly from uh, stories that uh, people would tell me. Mm. People were just uh, very suspicious of each other. Uh, I remember one case where uh, I was driving the jeep in the city and uh, I didn't see a man darting the street. And I, I hit him, I knocked him down, so I... Quick jumped out had my interpreter. And I said, yeah, okay, you know, we're going to take you to the hospital. No, he didn't want to go to the hospital. He was not going to go to the hospital. Okay. It was too dangerous to the hospital. Because? Because he mistrusted the people in the hospital, but he also must have felt that he shouldn't have been where he was as well, and it would be shameful for him. But, I mean, it's just an illustration of this mistrust uh, of everything because people didn't know, were there agents around or, or, or what?
0: So in the post-colonial era, and whether that was the post-colonial era in Africa or in parts of Asia, Indonesia, or in Korea, it was just tumultuous. Like, everything was mixed up, and then you have the states stepping in and trying to maybe, maybe ha- have influence, but having a difficult time providing any sort of order. Yeah. Did you see any stability while you were there? Did you see any development from the chaos to a more settled country?
1: I mean, it became more settled, but that was primarily from the authoritarianism of Isik-moon. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are an awful lot of army personnel around, both American and Korean. Uh, Korean army patrolling the streets, etc., You had a sense that perhaps order was being restored, but it was order that was very much one that was under a kind of authoritarian rule.
0: Did you at any time feel threatened yourself?
1: No, not really. So relief
0: relief workers were respected, left alone, appreciated?
1: Yes, yeah, very much appreciated. I mean, uh, our only problems we had were with some black marketeers there might be orphanage directors or individuals posing as orphanage directors and pulling in kids from the neighborhood to increase the enrollment so they'd get more goods and we'd have to constantly check lists. I mean there was an awful lot of fraud and and this kind of thing going on, but on the other hand, you had to remind yourself, well these people are trying to survive in, in any way they can. You can't really blame them for their for these kind of uh, things to happen. So I'm curious,
0: instant coffee, spam, uh, hot dogs, what else was being provided on the black market? Well, uh,
1: quite a bit of uh, surplus food from the U.S., and you could find some canned meat and canned goods from MCC. The big thing that the U.S. government sent over were big uh, cans of uh, cheese, rice, and powdered milk were the main items, and that was from uh, agricultural surplus. Then at MCC, as far as food goes, uh, they used to send uh, a lot of cans of meat. So those were highly priced. But while I was there, when we went out on distributions, we ate traditional food. And sometimes it was pretty pretty uh, grim. Uh, when I went back in to Seoul in, uh, I think it was 2002... I was just amazed at the uh, cosmopolitan nature of Seoul and Italian restaurants and everything else that it, right. it didn't exist when I was there in the 50s, of course.
0: In the book, uh, a book from 2011, uh, there's a chapter written by Kim Kyung Jung. The book is Churches Engage in Asian Traditions, and it's the first comprehensive history of the Mennonite and Brethren in Christ churches in Asia. Um, and it seems interesting to contrast the contemporary experience of Mennonites in Korea today with the 1950s, at that time in 1956, aside from you and the, your MCC colleagues, were there other Mennonites in the country?
1: No, no, we were, uh, we had to constantly explain ourselves. Actually,
0: like who, who are we? Why are we here? Yeah, yeah. What does it mean to be a Mennonite? Yeah,
1: and uh, our answer was always, well, we're committed to be of service to, to mankind. Mm. Uh, to put it briefly.
0: Mm-hmm. Kim Kyung-Jong in the article highlights the potential of the Mennonite Church to exist as a kind of alternative to the hierarchical and militaristic characteristics of mainstream Protestant Christianity in Korea. Um, when you returned to Korea for the first time in 2001, for the second time, did you have the opportunity to attend any church services?
1: No, I didn't. But I had been aware of the big mega-churches that were forming. Uh, I forget the name of the person who initially formed it, uh, who also performed mass weddings and Mm. things like that. And that has been quite a phenomenon for me uh, as to how that happened. And I often wonder if that isn't a consequence of some cultural traits that are involved uh, in that. When I went back in uh, 2001, I didn't have the opportunity, really, to uh, to look up Mennonites. Sort of well, in, in the year you
0: returned, this was the uh, year of the founding of the Korea Anabaptist Center in Seoul. Hmm. There had been a, a Mennonite uh, congregation, I guess, small congregation. In 1996, the Jesus Village Church began meeting in Chuncheon, in chuncheon province. So the Korea Anabaptist Center, you say, was founded partly at least by two of these orphans who have been part of the vocational uh, training in David.
1: That's what I've been told. I, don't, I, I can't verify that, okay. uh, but I've been told by that that they played a role
0: in that. Okay. The, the uh, Anabaptist Center in Seoul is a resource center on theology and practice. Its mission aims to clarify to other churches who consider Anabaptist heresy just what the Mennonite Church is about, Uh, It organizes conflict resolution workshops and victim-offender resolution workshops. And it's also launched something called Connexus, which is a faith-oriented school that offers a peace-oriented curriculum. Uh, And in 2007, a Mennonite church proper opened in Seoul called Grace and Peace. Can you tell me anything about the Mennonite approach to conflict resolution and victim-offender resolution? As we were kind of touching on before, this is a, you know, the, under, the underlying issue of the Korean people, since they're divided people. What is victim-offender resolution, and what does conflict resolution mean to you?
1: Well, I'm not an authority on that, and I, I have not been directly involved in those specific missions, but my understanding is that the role of Mennonites is to try to bring together uh, people with opposing views uh, to work out a resolution Uh, for the conflict. The idea is that everyone has some basic commonality and there has to be a resolution that can be reached by first starting with this commonality, finding out what the people's concerns are, what their fears are, uh, where those fears are focused, and why they're taking the stand that they are and to try to uh, come to some resolution uh, as a result.
0: In the case of the Koreans of the North and the Koreans of the South, uh, they share a lot in common.
1: They do, and yet uh, when I was there, I was told and it was pretty evident that before the division within Korea, the North was viewed as the industrial area where people were much more aggressive and more almost modern in their approach. The South was viewed as traditionally culture bound, with the young bonds, estates. Young bonds Uh, were the uh, gentility, the the uh, the aristocratic, intellectual gentility. That's right. The industry was in North Korea, the farming area, and the estates, and the general culture was in the south. All that changed, of course, uh, after the war, and uh, this sort of pastoral-based south was invaded by the very aggressive uh, North Koreans, uh, who were in some ways much more oriented towards what we'd call kind of an industrial economy than was the South. So there was a kind of clash there uh, in, in cultural values, even before uh, the division. The strange thing now is the South has now become very progressive and industrialized where the North hasn't. And I've often wondered, well, how much of that has been led by refugees from the North?
0: In a country still officially at war between the two Koreas, what kind of an impact can a church denomination that focuses on peace, nonviolence, and conflict resolution have on the peninsula? What do you think?
1: Well, I think think that uh, one has to constantly emphasize... What the two sides have in common, and uh, emphasize that following the uh, end of the Second World War, following the retreat of the Japanese, within Korea there were so many divisions and factions about how the country should go, but everybody was sort of unified in the sense that they were free of, of Japanese occupation. And I think, in some ways, I mean, much wiser people have said this but in some ways if you can get to the common base and work from there you know there's always hope if for example people feel that they're not being listened to or they're being listened to patiently and then nothing happens then you know the turmoil just simply goes you can't you can't just have a center where people talk i mean that's okay as a first step but you have to follow it with some kind of action but i mean you can you can even view this uh, as an issue beyond Korea where you see the rise of um, militant opposition uh, in European countries and in the United States, for example, if people believe that they aren't listened to, if people believe that the government is uh, totally immune to any of their own particular difficulties. And this happens if inequality, for example, keeps increasing. So it's not a uniquely Korean problem, I think.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to say to listeners of this podcast um, about your time there or, uh, or anything else about Korea that you'd like to say?
1: Well, I, I think th- my closing comments would, would be to say that that experience is probably one of the most outstanding experiences of my life. It, it really matured me and it has uh, made me uh, constantly... Uh, interested in uh, Korea itself uh, and in in world events and it has also prompted a, a constant concern about ways in which people can be brought together uh, without violence and uh, without uh, uh, warfare it's 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 made a lasting impression on me as a practical kind of issue faced by people with belief similar to mine. It's easy to simply retreat and say, I'm a peaceful man, I can't engage in that. It's much harder to say, I'm a peaceful man, and I want to propose this and this and this. Uh, To do
0: that is much harder. Joe Smucker was a relief worker in Daegu, uh, South Korea from 1956 to 1959 with the Mennonite Central Committee. He's also a retired Professor of Economic Sociology at Concordia University in Montreal. Thank you for speaking with The Korea File. You're welcome. My pleasure. That's The Korea File for this week. You can find new episodes of The Korea File on iTunes and Stitcher and as a featured contributor at krea.fm.net, koreabridge.net, and AngloInfoSoul. Find them and like them on Facebook. You can find The Korea File there, too, and on Twitter, at the Korea File with daily links and current news about the peninsula. And please rate us on iTunes. Each review helps new listeners discover the show. Music on this episode is Isumi's Miwido Dashi Then, check back wherever you downloaded this podcast on September 14th for a conversation with Pepperdine University's Rebecca Kim about her research on South Korea's Evangelical University Bible Fellowship and their bizarre reverse-racist mission work on American and Canadian college campuses. Until then, thanks for listening. From Montreal, I'm Andre Goulet.